Hello, everyone. Welcome to our City Rev Life podcast. My name is Angelica, and today we have Pastor Justin with us. Hey, Angelica. Hey, how are you? I'm doing great. Okay, so we have been talking about, we've had a series on on fear, right? Yeah, on fear. The topic of fear. The topic of various angles, and today we're going to continue that conversation. Well, let's talk about my fear of podcasts. Like Like right now? Yes, like right now. (laughs) I have you know it's been a while since i've done a podcast and so and we're talking about politics another set of fear that i have yes and so here we are here we are talking about a sensitive topic Mm -hmm. and um you know i remember when i first uh would start speaking or teaching the fear starting to like tremble within you and i think fear it's a it's a universal human experience we all have moments of fear Mm -hmm. but as you were even sharing that we were talking before uh, what fear can do for us, it's kind of like sitting out in the middle of the ocean. And if you're floating in the ocean and there's maybe no one around you or maybe no one to your left, and then you see over to your left, bubbles start to rise up oh next to gosh. you. Oh my gosh, Yeah, it's like you're immediately making an assumption, right? Uh-huh. There's something underneath you. <laughs> you know, it's like, I think, dun, 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 dun. Dun dun. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's Shark Week on Discovery Channel. So y- you imagine, okay, there's something underneath the surface that I can't see, and these bubbles are revealing that. In in some ways, I think fear is like that. When we experience the emotion of fear, uh, it's revealing something that's deep beneath the surface. And this is also true when it comes to a fear of politics. Uh, and maybe we should define what we mean by fear of politics. By fear of politics, it's not like a phobia of politics. We're describing... The, po- the, the possibility of us being paralyzed by what's happening politically, mm-hmm. um, of being afraid of the future, of way, way, the way things seem to or appear to be trending, and we can become overcome by fear. So we're, we're talking about specifically that. So maybe give us a roadmap for how we're going to approach this conversation. Okay. So I think first we need to you know, know why do we have fear of politics? Yeah. Why, are, why is there fear over politics? And then second, I think we also need to talk about like, how does political fear, how does that relate to our faith in Jesus? Mm-hmm. And then how do we overcome it? How do we overcome it? Yeah, practically. Fear? Yeah. Yeah. So, so just to start, you know, why do we have fear over politics? Why do we even engage um, and get stressed and anxious, paralyzed even over the area of politics? And the passage that came to mind um, as I was thinking about that question was First Samuel chapter 8. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in First Samuel chapter 8, it's the very tail end of Samuel's life. Samuel was basically the leader over Israel. He was the spiritual leader over Israel. He was uh-huh. a judge. Uh, he was well-respected, renowned. And in First Samuel chapter 8, approaching the end of his tenure, if you will, He's starting to think about succession. What mm-hmm. does it look like for the next spiritual leader, the next leader over the people to come? And what's interesting is in 1 Samuel chapter 8, we get a picture into what the people want mm-hmm. uh, in terms of, so, you know, here we, we're in North America, we're in the United States of America. We like what the people want, right? Yes. This, is yes. what, this is what we're about, right? Let the people say. So maybe uh, read in 1 Samuel 8, Angelica, verses... Uh, one through six, and it's going to give us a picture of what the people of Israel wanted for their next leader. Okay, let me do that. All right. So it starts off. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. 
The name of his firstborn son was Joel. And the name of his second, oh gosh, I'm going to butcher this. Abijah. Abijah. Or, yeah, we'll just go with that. It's okay. probably not precise. All right. But. So they were judges in Beersheba, yet his sons did not walk in the ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all nations. But the, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. So here's what happens. Samuel has these sons. Apparently they're not very good. Uh, they're not qualified for leadership, you mm -hmm. might say. And so the people ask instead, we don't want we don't want to be our own thing. We want to be like the other nations. We want a king. Mm -hmm. We look around us, all the other nations have kings. We want a king. And this thing apparently displeased Samuel. And as it goes on, we find out Samuel's concerned about this. The original vision that God had for his people was that he would be king over them, yes. that God himself would be king, that they don't need to be like the other nations. In fact, it's in the fact that they are different from the other nations mm -hmm. that is the very reason they can be used by God to be change agents and a blessing to the nations. And so Samuel actually warns the people and says, listen, if you demand a king, your king is going to put you to work. Your king is going to take taxes from you. Your king is going to uh, put your young men in battle to become part of his army. Your king is going to take some of you to be his servants. Uh, this is not what you want. And then look at how the people respond to his many warnings, uh, starting in verse 17, and then just read through the end of the section. Okay. He will take the tenth of your flock, and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourself. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we may also be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. So Samuel gives them the warning. He tells them what's going to happen. He says, hey, after it all goes bad, you're going to cry out to God and say, God, please save us. Mm -hmm. And in that day, God's going to say, this is what you wanted, basically. And the people refuse to, to heed his warning. Mm -hmm. They say, we want a king. And the language they use again is, so that we may be like the other nations all around us, and so that our king may go out before us and fight our battles. So here's, here's the picture we're given in 1 Samuel 8. I think this is a this little micro moment in history mm -hmm. is an amazing picture of the human condition and the human heart. The people of Israel want a king. And that's indicative, I think, of all of us. Mm -hmm. We as humans, we want someone who we feel like represents us, someone who embodies our values. Mm -hmm. We want a strong person to, who's, who's leading and ruling. We long for someone who embodying our ideals can represent us in the battlefield and fight our enemies. Like This is what humans have been longing for and looking for throughout human history. And human history is full of horrible events and horrible movements 
that have started with individual leaders playing into this human desire. Mm -hmm. We long for a king. We've always longed for a king. And we are, we are longing for someone to put our hope in, thinking that they will do for us what we can't seem to do for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And all sorts of terrible things in history have happened when evil leaders have leveraged that for their own selfish gain, for horrible motivations. And what they're tapping into is, listen, you need to be afraid of this person, of these enemies. Um, I represent you. I feel what you feel. I, I am one of you. If you will trust in me and get behind me, I will fight this battle for you. And humans have been sucked into that paradigm and that thinking for a long time. Yeah, so not putting their trust in God, but putting their trust in this person. In this human figure that's claiming to be able to do for them what they seem to can't they seemingly can't do for ourselves. Now, I want to say that this is two things at once. This human desire for a king is a good thing and a bad thing at the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe even that language is uh, is unhelpful. It, it's something I believe that's placed in us by God. That scripture teaches is placed in us by God, a longing for a king. Mm-hmm a longing for someone who can represent us and defeat the enemy we can't defeat and someone who can um, stand in the gap, uh, you know, and be our champion, if you will. That's a good thing. And at the same time, it's a dangerous thing because we're sinful. And here's how it's good. It's good because it should be that, like you said, we should long for God to be our king. Mm -hmm. That's why it's a good thing that we have this longing for a king because as we realize that human kings are weak and vulnerable and flawed and selfish, human rulers don't keep their promises, mm -hmm. it should bring us this place where, where we'd ask, there has to be someone else. Mm -hmm. There has to be someone, there has to be something more. And that should get us to be looking up to the Lord. But it's a dangerous thing in that we as humans are really good at convincing ourselves that this human ruler or this political figure or this movement or no this particular moment in history is the exception to the rule yes yeah we're we're so quickly convinced and deceived into thinking no but this this one you don't understand this time they're the real deal this time they really represent me this time they really are going to be the one that succeeds and fights on our behalf and is not selfish but instead trying to really serve the common good and this is how this is how politicians run their campaigns and they get elected this is how the nature of politics works it's someone saying i represent and embody you i'm one of you i'll mm -hmm. fight for you the other side is out to destroy you. Your life will be over. If they have power, instead give me power and I will fight for you. And this then sets us up to be afraid and anxious at the thought, the very thought of the other side gaining power. Mm -hmm. Now, if my ruler, my uh, you know candidate uh, is the person that doesn't get elected, isn't in power, well now everything's going to fall apart. It's going to be the end of the world. Yes, it's going to be yeah. the end. And and we can get ourselves, we use some hyperbole there, you know, and I, I don't think many people uh, use that type of language, but internally we can get anxious and consumed, obsessive, uh, angry, edgy, critical, in a terrible mood all the time um, because we've been brought into this type of thinking that, my goodness, you know, my king isn't in charge. Yeah. And you know, in fact, I think we even saw a lot of that 
yeah. in the past. Yeah. Right. We've we've seen this recent history. We've mm-hmm. seen this throughout human history. This is not a new thing. Uh, you see it in First Samuel chapter eight, mm-hmm. thousands of years ago. So, uh, here's here's kind of the idea. We when we have this longing for a king, this desire in us, the good part of that is we should be looking to the Lord and putting our hope in Jesus as our king. The catch is we're so prone and tempted to put that kind of confidence in some other human ruler who we think is going to bring us what we what we can't get, bring for ourselves. Yeah, that is so good. That is so good. Now, how does that fear or that political fear, how does how do how does that relate to our practice with Jesus? Yeah. Our practice and our faith in Jesus. Yeah, because there there is an intersection here between uh, when we have these fears and these anxieties mm-hmm. over the area of politics, there is an intersection point with our practice of faith in Jesus. And here's two categories to think about when it comes to what we believe about Jesus. Uh-huh. Two categories that when we are consumed with political fear, there we're walking in opposition to what our faith would teach. And the first category is the category of God's goodness and sovereignty, his goodness and sovereignty. So God is sovereign, meaning he is the one who has authority over the world that he made, and he is ruling and reigning the world according to his good purposes. Mm -hmm. He's sovereign. Uh, Ephesians 1.11, why don't you read that for us, um, Angelica? Okay, so it says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who all, works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that last phrase right there in Ephesians 1.11, the God who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That's describing his rule over his creation. So God is... All, all things, right? Yes, all things. There's nothing that's outside of God's dominion. Uh, even uh, horrible things that God is not the author and cause of, as though God is bringing about evil in the world in in terms of authorship. God is good, and he's the source mm-hmm. of all that is good. At the same time, there's a category in Scripture that God is sovereign over all things, and he works all things, according to Ephesians 1.11. Horrible things, good things, mediocre things. He mm-hmm. works all things according to the counsel of his will. And so if I'm captive to political fear and I'm anxious and consumed or paralyzed, I'm angry at the other side, whatever that might be, when I'm captive to to that kind of fear, that means I'm not believing in either the extent of God's sovereignty. Like I I actually don't think that God is ruling right now. I think he's kind of taking a break Mm -hmm. or, you know, maybe he's forgotten about what's happening in the world and he's walked away or, or second I, I don't believe that God is good in his sovereignty. I, I Maybe I do believe he's sovereign, but I believe that his plan is not good and that what's happening right now couldn't possibly be woven into the story that God is writing in creation, the ultimate story that is, according to Scripture, that is for our good. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to this political fear, the sovereignty of God reminds me God is ruling and reigning, mm-hmm. and he is good. And then the second category, I would point to John chapter 16, verse 33. Okay. So if Can you want to read that? that, yeah, go for it. All right. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So this is a verse among a whole 
slew of verses where, where Jesus is teaching about the nature of, of life as a follower of Christ. Mm -hmm. And he's clear, in this world, you will have trouble. So here's how this relates to political fear. Uh, when we're afraid and consumed over what's happening in politics, what ends up happening is, is we're subconsciously thinking that what our lives should be is comfortable mm -hmm. and what our lives ought to be is easy and what our lives as christians should be is we should be widely recognized widely respected you yes. know we should be the popular. ones that are popular mm -hmm. right and that is not a promise from jesus jesus in fact promised the contrary to the contrary he said in this world you will have trouble but take heart, he says, I have overcome the world. And so my fears politically, when it comes to uh, wrestling with what's happening in my world and my concern, which is a good thing, transforms into fear. Now I'm, I'm operating with this assumption that, well, you know what? The world is uh, in a way that's contrary to what Jesus said the world would mm -hmm. be. Uh, I, I'm under the impression that in this world, I won't have trouble. And Jesus said, hey, listen, the reason you can have hope is not because you're not going to have trouble. The reason you can have hope is because I've overcome the yes. world. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. And so when it comes to uh, just the things that we have in our nation, I want to make sure that it's clear and uh, that what I'm saying is not misunderstood. Uh, so prosperity, freedom, the liberties that we enjoy in this country, they, they are a gift that we mm -hmm. should be grateful for and we should care about preserving them. Those things matter. I think it's, it's important in this conversation to not misunderstand. Uh, at, at the same time, those incredible gifts that we are grateful for and want to make sure our neighbors out of love for them can have, at the same time, they are not the goal of the Christian life. The goal of the Christian life is fellowship with God. Mm -hmm. And we can enjoy fellowship with the, the God of the universe in wonderful freedom and in peace and prosperity. And you can enjoy fellowship with God in the midst of your sufferings. Um, there are followers of Jesus all throughout our world who have the joy of the Lord as their strength mm -hmm. in really difficult uh, political circumstances. And they have more reasons to be afraid than we do. And the the call on followers of jesus is yes those concerns are legitimate yes we work for the peace of our city yes we seek the shalom of our city at the mm -hmm. same time we will not be paralyzed and drawn into pessimism and despair because our hope is not in a political solution our hope is in the king who's overcome the world yes yeah so how do we do this practically right okay um how do we find freedom in our political fears or from our political fears. Sure. Yeah. So to get real practical and just try and think through how do we, how does this translate into the way I actually live? I think first Timothy two uh, verses one through four is very helpful as it relates to this. And so maybe let's start there and uh, just read those few verses. Okay. First Timothy two, one through four, right? So it says to pray for government and leaders, First of all, then, I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. 
So what I love about this passage is, is it makes clear that followers of Jesus are to have concern for government. We, we are to care about what's happening in our world. Uh, it's not escapism. What we're describing is not like, you know, we're so in the clouds as followers of Jesus, we have 